Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you so much, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing pretty well. <laughs> the um, person who mows the lawn didn't come and didn't come and didn't come, and now that the lawn has been mowed, 
we have to make hay because the lawn was so big and tall that now there's mm-hmm. wet grass all over on top of the grass, which will kill the grass. So <laughs> that's what we've been doing. <laughs> we've mm-hmm. been making hay. And the goats can't quite understand what has happened. Hmm. It all seems very curious to them. So they probably. Hey, you know what? I'm really I'm so excited about our guest tonight that I want to start off. Usually, I wait. You know, we chat a little bit, and we can chat a little bit, but then I talk about who our guest is going to be. But our guest is going to be Selena Fox, and. She's also known as Reverend Selena Fox. And she has been working for the goddess since 1974. That's a long time. And her writings, rituals, chants, and photographs have been widely published and used so at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to say this again toward the end of after when Rebecca and I are done chatting. Please, at 9 o'clock, stay with us or come back so that you can hear Reverend Selena Fox, nature priestess, eco-feminist, and pagan civil rights activist. Yeah, so, I love Selena Fox, too. She's, yeah. she's amazing. Her Like on all of her social media, she's always putting out different uh, rituals to do that are in sync with the time of the year. And I mean, there's just various podcasts I've tuned into and like participated in some of the rituals that she's done and they're powerful and um, all dedicated to the goddess, like you said. So I love, I love it. Love her too. And I can't wait to hear your conversation with her. It's exciting. (laughs) I know. An hour, how difficult. Ooh. Mm. So we're yeah. we're hurtling toward equinox here, and um, that you know equinox equal day and equal night. And although the dark has been growing and the light getting less since summer solstice, because it's been so warm and we call it summer, we haven't really been noticing until. We get to this period just before equinox, and now it becomes really noticeable. Every day we say, wow, it's getting dark faster. Mm-hmm. It's been dark here because it's so smoky. We haven't had, we can't even, you can't really even feel the sun during the day when it's out, when you're outside because of the thick smoke here. So <laughs> we're in like a twilight zone on the west coast. Wow. Wow. Yeah. One of my other friends mm-hmm. there was saying that. They are not allowed to go outside. The air quality is so bad. Yeah, we can't go outside what, either. It's, it's been off the scale. Ah, are the fires mm-hmm. abating? Are they able to contain them yeah, in any way? Yeah, they say that they're not. They say that they're not contained, but they're not grown. Like uh, I don't know how much they grew yesterday, but the previous day, the one that's closest to us, that's right outside the town, it grew only five thousand acres compared to it was growing like tens of thousands of acres, like in a very short period of time before. So, um, but yeah, I mean they're all around though. The ones that are up towards Salem, which is just like an hour north of us uh is is a giant fire too so we're just we're just socked in in the valley with with all of the smoke and particle debris and everything so 
it's like nothing we've ever experienced. I mean, we've get, we get, it gets smoky here, but this has been like super dense. I, I think it's been challenging people's like quality <laughs> or state of mind. Like, I definitely for me, I tried to escape out of here, and our flight got canceled actually. And um, now I'm just sitting with it, and I'm just gonna be with it and let it. We're supposed to get some rain tomorrow or possibly Thursday, so. We're all praying for rain and uh, some winds to come in and blow some of the smoke out of here. But I, I've heard that it's spreading all the way to the Midwest right now, the smoke is. So it's um, it's affecting a lot of people. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes, when you were talking about spells, I was thinking that that would be an appropriate spell is to ask if some uh, rain could come to that area. Yeah, yeah, I was actually just thinking the same thing myself. If you would be so kind as to ask Selena what she if she has any um thoughts on that. And I think she li- does she live in California as well? I I'm not sure or maybe she's on the East Coast. I don't I don't know, but so she might be Southwestern Wisconsin. She lives in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Oh, right. Right, right. Mhm. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah. Hopefully, mm-hmm. um, she will talk to me, or talk to us, and perhaps even who knows? We'll all do a spell together to help uh, open up the possibility of rain. Mhm. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I heard somebody saying though, like when so many people pray for rain, it might come on with a. A force, and that's what's being predicted is that there's going to be like a well, huge I, amount of I, rain. As you noticed, I did not say pray for rain. I said open up the possibility. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. that's <laughs> why I did not say pray for rain, nor would I ever. Okay. I I don't uh-huh. I don't want to be bossed around, and I'm sure that nature doesn't want to be bossed around either. Right. Yeah. But if it's appropriate, yeah, it's be appropriate and I'm an appropriate way. Um, then let's open that possibility. Let's make mm-hmm. it known. You remember yeah. that apprenticeships are run on a ask for it basis, right? And so I, you know, I think it's appropriate to say, "Hey, I'd like some rain here." You know, if it works out, if it's okay, let's let's mm-hmm. see what the let's see what the possibility is. It could do me some good. Are you up for it? Mm-hmm. So what else? We've been harvesting nettle. We keep um, a big patch of nettle by the talking stick circle, and we cut it frequently. And so when we called to order dried nettle and were told that there was none for sale, we said, all right, let's go and harvest them. And we filmed the whole studio and probably harvested mm, at least two pounds of nettle, so it'll be half a pound mm. dried, and I'm hoping we'll get a chance to do it again. Mhm. Yeah, it's, it if you cut it back, it always grows that new, fresh growth. So I did not do that myself this year. <laughs> so all went to seed. <laughs> mhm, mhm. And of course, it's not too late to harvest comfrey, especially. Again, if you've been harvesting your comfrey, it will 
send up more flower stalks. In some areas, you can harvest the flower stalks that come free three times a year. Are we still together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. There's also um, the fall rush of red clover. And I have had herbalists tell me that they don't pick the September red clover because they think that it's higher in uh, blood thinning compounds. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I also know that um, David Winston thinks that coumarin can't convert to coumadin in the body. So we really needn't worry about the clovers, like sweet clover or red clover. As blood I know thinner. that I've been... I've been really drawn to red clover right now, like during these fires. I have a whole bunch of it that I dried myself this year, and I feel like it is uh, helping with, like, all of the respiratory, like keeping things open and just, like, helping, uh, I don't know, whatever, my blood carry, whatever needs to be carried out and mm. um, keeping me well hydrated and everything. And so I've been uh, – I'm. Well, I've been having my whole herbal rapport, <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. one that has mm-hmm. been helping me a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Such beautiful, beautiful herbs. And the linden, of course, is being annoying. He goes, any of the flowers we didn't harvest have turned into berries, and the berries have sharp little points on them. And when I walk in them barefoot, they roll under my feet and stab me. So... Much, you know, and you know, we allow the linden tree to over, overhang the deck, so we get lots of berries mm-hmm. on the deck. Mm-hmm. A sure signal of equinox at hand. When the linden berries start to poke your feet. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for the change of season. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do we have anybody with questions? Yes, we do. And I want to remind the callers to press 1 if you have a a question for Susan. And I will put your call into the queue. And our first caller is coming from the 608 area code. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Really appreciate it. Um, And... and, uh, Rebecca, I, I, my heart goes out to you. I, I have many friends and family on the West Coast, and I it just it just breaks my heart. I, I lived there for 12 years, and uh, I, the last two years I was there, the fire season was pretty brutal, and I, I know it's even worse now. I, I, I know what I went through, so I can only imagine how difficult it is. Um, I I hope that things start to clear up soon and that you uh, get the relief you need. Definitely working through some claustrophobia issues that I have. So, yeah, it's, uh, oh, it takes a lot. Yeah. But, but thank you. I appreciate your words. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Susan, I, I, I had a, some questions related to um, some 
Well, it's a health issue I've had for a long time. And, and uh, a few years back, I did even call your, your line about it. But uh, I have to say that it, I just, I need help sort of unraveling the stories that I have regarding this. And uh, I want to make sure that I'm heading in the right direction uh, with dealing with it. I, I've got a, a very stiff hip. Um, uh, and, uh, it got to the point where it, it, it's been affecting my gait pattern or my gait pattern is affecting my hip. Really not sure which way it's going, but, uh, now I have a really painful corn at the bottom of my foot and, uh, that is exacerbating the hip pain. Uh, there's an element where I have, when I have gas, it actually makes everything hurt worse. Like the bottom of my foot hurts worse. The the hip hurts worse. When the gas release, releases, uh, I feel a lot lighter. And there are times where I can even walk barefoot outside, even with this corn on my foot, and it doesn't bother me. So, I I I've been reading. You know, I read this book, or I have been in the process of reading a book by uh, John Sarno, M.D. about mind over back pain uh there's uh i've been you know researching the you know some of the the writing of uh, katie bowman who's been a a guest on your show and uh i've been subscribing to her biomechanics class uh and please please feel free to interrupt me if if i'm going on too long um but i've been i've been taking her biomechanics classes it's wonderful and it makes a huge difference but i think part of it is i'm just fatigued I'm tired tired of doing this i'm tired of dealing with it i just don't I'm just sick of it <laughs> that's really it that's it i'm impatient I, i'd like it all to to release so i can get on with my life so that's it those are such wonderful human qualities our impatience and are, you know, getting fed up with things. They've, you know, caused us to figure out and do such amazing things. <laughs> so I like that perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, people who are satisfied have no need to change anything. <laughs> it's um, been an unusual month. And then I got a sticker that someone had made, actually several of it that someone had made which said no blame no shame no guilt which is something that I say frequently and tell the apprentices very frequently and then just about a week ago I got a couple of posters in the mail that someone had made um, one about garlic mustard pull it with gratitude right don't just you know curse it out when you pull it pull it with gratitude and eat it and the other one says, what's your problem with your problem? So if you have a moment, I would like you to tell me what the problem with your problem is. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm just going to say whatever comes to the top of my head. Um, sounds good. So your problem is that you have a stiff hip. Is that right? Yeah, stiff hip, uh, 
and a corn in the bottom of my foot. Mm-hmm. Painful corn. Mm-hmm. So what's the problem with your problem? Um, it's hard for me to get anything done um, because I can't move with the fluidity and grace that I'm used to. I feel clumsy. I run into things. I... I have to calculate every move because it hurts, you know, going up and down stairs, uh, even standing for too long, laying for too long, sitting for too long, uh, or moving around, you know, moving around for too long. (laughs) Okay, so the problem Uh, with your problem is it interferes with your living the way you want to. Is that correct? Yes. And the problem with your problem is that it causes you to be clumsy, and so you no longer have the fluidity and grace that you associate with yourself. Yes. And the problem with your problem is that there is no ease. You can't find any easy place, whether you're moving or sitting, whether you're laying, whether you're standing. It gets to a point yeah. where you're not at ease anymore. Yes. Okay. Now, what we're going to do is um, we're going to look at these statements from the viewpoint of the person who chooses. These statements and the way I set it up are always going to be statements from the victim. It interferes with my life. It makes me clumsy. I can't find any easy place to be. These are all victim statements, and it's set up so that you will make victim statements because what we want to find is we want to find the power that's hidden here. We want to recast these statements from the voice of that power. Good. Now, let me, let me prepare you for this, because when we are having a problem, one of the main reasons that we are having a problem is that we're in denial of something. Yeah. And so the closer these statements get to home, the more likely you will be to say, no, 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 that's all wrong. Oh. (laughs) That's the denial. So we're going to listen for that, and we're going to see which of the things um, you think are the wrongest, and maybe all (laughs) of them. Okay. Because what would the what would the voice of power say? The voice of power would say, um, "I want to be clumsy." <laughs> oh. I want to make mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, you hit it. 
that's that's it. I don't want to be clumsy. But the voice, <laughs> but the voice of power wants to be clumsy. Yes. So there's yes. a war going on, and that hurts. Yeah. Yes. I had a woman come to me and tell me that every cell in her body wanted to be pregnant. Mhm. And I asked her how I could help her, and she said, "Well, she had miscarried thirteen times in the past two years." Mhm. Now I suspect that you are thinking what I immediately thought was there must be one or two cells in this woman's body that don't want to be pregnant. Mhm. Right? She said every cell in her body wanted to be pregnant, but I'm thinking that can't be so. So. It's not usually productive to confront people directly about what they're in denial about because sometimes they really hate the things they're in denial about and then they mistake you for that thing and they smack you. So it's easier to, right, it's easier to like, you know, kind of come around the edge of it. So I had her close her eyes and pretend that she was standing naked in front of a full-length mirror and that she had missed her period. And she was looking to see if she could see any signs of pregnancy, which I figured she'd miscarried 13 times. She was pretty well familiar with. And we went, you know, through the months pretty rapidly, you know, from that period to the second missed period where, you know, oh, wow, you know, I wasn't wrong the first time. And, you know, now I really am pregnant. We can see it. And on, the, you know, the, the third month and the fourth month, and we're getting in, you know, to the time when, you know, you really show in and, getting hard, harder for you to do certain things and you're getting a little clumsy and on into the sixth month and seventh month, right? And we get into the, the seventh month and I'm saying, oh, you know, now you're like really having to wear maternity clothes and you really can't see your toes and you're, the, you can't, you're really clumsy. And her eyes flew open and she said, absolutely not. And I said, good. We found the voice that doesn't want you to be pregnant. Hmm. Let's talk to it and find out what its concerns are. Mm-hmm. Its primary concerns were that she was going to lose her independence and her freedom and that she was going to um, stop being physically fit. Mm-hmm. And so she parlayed with the voice and made promises to the voice about what she was going to do and how it was going to be and how she was going to pay attention to those things. And about a year later, I got a picture of her baby. Wow. So she got pregnant by nourishing the part of her that didn't want her to be pregnant. Okay, well that I I I guess to be honest with you, I it it makes sense on a really unconscious level, but I'm really having trouble making that conscious, making a making a, a, a parallel to what her story is and mine. There may not be any. Okay. What I like about her story is that the desired outcome came about by nourishing 
the problem rather than trying mm-hmm. to get rid of the problem. Okay, so when I'm focusing on the problem, what, what does that look like? Well, I don't know, but it, most of us try to get rid of our problems. Got it. You're fed up and you want it to end. Yes. I'm suggesting that the way for the problem, with the problem to end, is to stop making it a problem. Okay. And find a way, ultimately, to revel in it, but at least in the beginning to tolerate it. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. I think I'm seeing something open up here regarding that. It's the, the shame I feel for not being graceful (laughs) you know oh wow that that feels kind of I feel kind of shallow about that just seems like a really shallow thing you know oh my god well it's not it's not it's probably a thought you picked up when you were extremely young Okay. And it's still, you know, it's still in your operating instructions. Okay. And and so, you know, rather than putting yourself down for having that, um, congratulate yourself for being willing to be different now. Okay. Before I ever taught an herbal medicine class, and I didn't want to, but my friend wasn't coming home and was forcing me to, I took my fear to my therapy group, and I said, I can't teach herbal medicine. And I was teaching other things. So this didn't make a lot of sense to me that I was so like, I really like, was you know, just like it brought me to tears. And as my therapy group helped me to explore it, I was... Back as a very young child, and my mother was giving me a little baby chick and saying, if you touch it wrong, it will die. Oh. And I took that so to heart, you know, far more than what she meant from it. Mm-hmm. So who was I to teach healing when my touch brought death? Well, I don't have any direct memory, but you're you're leading me to believe that there's something physical going on here related to that, that I might have done something inadvertently as a small child that caused somebody else pain or I broke something that somebody valued. Something like that must have happened. I mean, that's, I have no visuals of it. It feels like a physical memory. And the shame that you felt. Yeah. So let yourself off the hook. 
Wow. That, that's kind of bringing me to tears just thinking about that. Um, yeah. I personally think forgiveness is highly overrated. A lot of people really do unforgivable things. But I think that most of the time you deserve to forgive yourself. Thank you for saying that, too, because I agree. There are things that are completely unforgivable, and I, I agree that this kind of Christian construct of forgiveness is uh, overrated. Uh, but thank you for also saying that we do have the option of forgiving ourselves. This is good. This is good. I, I think this is kind of leading me towards something. Um, I'm also wondering if this, there might be some encoding that's familial, that's, that's possibly even genetic, because I think my mother had a similar issue with her hip. I think my niece is experiencing a similar issue. Um, more and more, we understand that while our genetic material certainly is familial, we can actually have a lot of influence on how our genes express themselves. Yes. (coughs) Excuse me. And that that one of the ways that we can change how our genes express themselves is... um, to be willing to let that story go. It's not easy. Sometimes, yeah. to be, sometimes to be part of a family, you have to have the family sickness. But stepping aside is always a possibility to say, I'm going to be part of this family without being part of this family illness. There are a lot of people in my family with diabetes. I've yeah. chosen not. I've chosen not to participate. Mhm. Mm. Now, when you have chosen not to participate, what is the avenue that you've taken to not participate? Diet and exercise. Yeah. Okay. My brother, who's an insulin-dependent type 2 diabetic, drinks soda pop. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't. Right? Yeah. We make choices. We all make choices. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, I have nothing. So much for bringing this fascinating topic up tonight. I'm... Sensing that there are others who want to ask questions and that we should give way to them. Does that work for you? Oh, yes. Thank you so much, Susan. Green blessings to you. Thanks. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 401 area code. Hello. Four zero one. Hello. Hi, Susan. This is Ariel. I had I sent you a message in reference to my dog Copal. 
and I just wanted to chat with you about him. Um, and I do really appreciate the words you wrote to me when I misspelled your name, not once but twice in my message to you, <laughs> even though I have seen it thousands of times. Uh, still spelled it wrong, and your response was no shame, no blame, no guilt. And those words really resonated with me, not just for that small mistake, but for many other things that I blame myself for, including my dog being ill. Um, you know, I'm I'm hurting myself more by, by aiming that blame at myself when it was something that probably, or you know, might have not been under my control. Um, so his condition now, for seeing the vet last week, I don't generally see veterinarians or doctors myself, try to do everything at home, but I was concerned that maybe my regimen of herbs and mushrooms weren't going to cut it, or I might be doing the wrong regimen for whatever his condition was, and I was kind of treating as if he had lymphoma. Um, so I brought him to the vet last week that said he tested positive for Lyme disease, not a surprise living in New England. Uh, and he was over 90% sure that the dog has lymphoma due to all of his lymph nodes being severely enlarged. Um, they have been enlarged for about a month now, but his energy level's great. Um, he's eating and gobbles up all of his herbs and mushroom extracts and everything. Um, but I'm just concerned his weight has, has dropped significantly over the past month. And... I just want to know what exactly you would do in this situation um, because I'm not interested in doing chemotherapy. Um, I did get a prescription for doxycycline for him, and I'm unsure. I, I felt sure of doing it, and now I'm unsure if it's the right course to take with him. So. Can you tell me what your goal is? Ultimately, I would cure him from whatever this ailment is, whether it's, you know, cancer or the Lyme, and have him live a couple more years, a happy life. And, you know, I'd like to see him back at the state he was two months ago um, and not sick. And and what's your dog's uh, oh, name? Copal. Copal. And how old is Copal? He is eight years old. I don't know very much about lymphoma. Is it a very aggressive cancer? According to textbook, it is. Uh, depending on which doctor you speak with, um, the dog could last a couple of weeks after a diagnosis of lymphoma or they could last a year with lymphoma. I did speak with an herbalist um, from Green Gem Herbals in New Hampshire, and she said the longest uh, lifespan a dog had post-diagnosis was uh, 18 months. And to get an actual diagnosis, like a 100% diagnosis, they would have to remove a lymph node, do a full biopsy, um, and that would be very expensive and traumatizing to the dog. You know, they put him under anesthesia and everything. They did do a needle aspirate of one of his lymph nodes 
but didn't send it into the lab. That was going to cost me another $250 on top of the $400 that I gave the vet last week. So I said, hold on to that for now. Um, the needle aspirate wouldn't necessarily tell me if he was, uh, you know, if he had lymphoma or if he was just reactive to something. So, so despite this, we would like to cure the dog of lymphoma. If I mean, I, part of me hopes that it it strips the Lyme disease that's increasing the size of all of his lymph nodes. Um, I know that Lyme is a crazy tick-borne illness with symptoms all over the place, and, and enlarged lymph nodes can definitely be a sign of Lyme. Um, so that's what I was hoping. Maybe it's just a Lyme. Maybe it's not lymphoma. <laughs> okay. So your primary focus then is to get rid of the Lyme. Yeah. And that's the doxycycline. Yeah. Do you think your dog has had Lyme disease for a long time or a short time? I would assume it's been a while, and that's why he's having these extreme symptoms now, unless it is just lymphoma. Um, but I live on a I live on an eighty five acre farm and mm-hmm. he he his coat has thinned out over the past month. Prior to that his coat was so thick. I mean, he's half German Shepherd, half Great Pyrenees. So he always had that really thick undercoat and if he had a pick on him, I you know, I wouldn't necessarily have known. So he could have had right. the blind for a while. Mhm. And are you using herbs that are thought to counter Lyme? I just began um, incorporating a Lyme tincture by Clear Profitables, just in a very small amount into his mm-hmm. food and, and doing little drops on his head and kind of rubbing that in to get the energy going there. Um, but prior to this week, I was just treating as if it was worst-case scenario lymphoma, full-blown cancer. Um, I've been doing a lot of mushroom mycelium powders that are that are easy for the dog to ingest. He gobbles those up. And uh, one of the powders contained nettles and moringa. And um, the, the first thing I did when, when I noticed that his lymph nodes were swollen was a, a lymph tonic. Um, I can read you the ingredients if you are interested in that lymph tonic. So the lymph tonic by Clear Passables is a Chris Morano. Um, It has burdock, calendula, cleavers, echinacea, elder, figwort, poke root, red clover, red root, sarsaparilla, self-heal, philanthes, and violet. And I started off with, with that, and I was doing you know, a decent dose. Um, Over the past week and a half, I had that gut feeling to slow down on his lymph tonic and cut that dose in half. 
so so I cut that in half and gave him a lot less. And when I is, spoke with the woman that, from that Green, a tincture or a powder? It's a tincture. Mm-hmm. And there's how many herbs in it? I will count that again. One, two, three, four, five. Thirteen. Thirteen different herbs. So a mm-hmm. dropper full contains two drops of each herb if they're there in equal amounts. Yeah. very difficult for herbs to work at that lower dose. Okay. So, so do you think that it, it's I one would of the be reasons that I use it's one of the reasons I use simples rather than formulas. So do you think I would be better off limiting the amount of herbs that I'm giving him and focusing on a core few? Yes. Okay. I think the mushrooms are a very good idea. Mushroom mycelium or mushrooms. Uh, We know that mushrooms do work better together. And so there are several uh, products out that are combinations of anywhere from 5 to 20 mushrooms. And that's a place where I would use a lot of different things, is with the mushrooms. But just by having them in one product. And in general, I don't use tinctures with animals unless it's something that I absolutely have to tincture. So the mushrooms as powders if possible, and put in the animal's food is the way to go. I recommend that for people as well, that they get the powders and put it in their food because then you're going to digest it and actually utilize it in a far more direct way than if you took a tincture of it. Okay. Yeah, so I I was doing a combination of both um, mushroom tincture and powder, because mm-hmm. the, the powder was mycelium and the, the tincture was um, fruiting body. So uh-huh. the shroom immune tincture that I am u- utilizing has chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, maitake, rishi, shiitake, and turkey tail. Um, I, do you think that I should not do the, the mushroom tincture at all and just do powders? Whatever you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. In terms of Lyme disease, there's a variety of different plants that have been shown to have some effect. And it depends pretty much on what part of its life cycle the Lyme disease is in, which is why I was asking about how long you thought a copal had had Lyme disease. Hypericum perforatum, which I call St. John's wort, and many people call St. John's wort, <laughs> as a tincture, and no other way but as a tincture. So there already, we've broken my rule. <laughs> but that's why when I don't have to use a tincture, I don't. So that when I have to, I can. Is 
considered to be perhaps the most the herb that is most directed against Lyme even when Lyme is chronic or has been there for a long time Copal sounds like a big dog over 50 pounds He's about he was about 75 pounds he's probably about like 68 pounds now So it would be reasonable to use a full dropperful dose of tincture of fresh hypericum flowers. When I do use tinctures, both for humans and for animals, I use only vodka tinctures, never grain alcohol tinctures. Okay, so even if it's been, even if the grain alcohol has been diluted with water after, you wouldn't recommend that for the animal? Sure, diluting poison with water is going to make it less poisonous, I guess. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. I was trying to get glycerite, so I did. I did get him a dandelion vodka. glycerite that vodka. I've been adding vodka. in. Glycerite, not glycerite, vodka. So you wouldn't recommend anything in glycerite either. Mm-mm. Okay. I don't even teach people about glycerides. As far as my students know, they don't even exist. I have a friend who is an herbalist who lives in Switzerland, and she makes a glyceride of unopened rose buds for women with reproductive woes. Now, that is the glyceride I could get behind. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in general, I don't think medicine should taste sweet. Okay. Okay. And the other herbs that can be used to help deal with Lyme include teasel root tincture and Japanese knotweed tincture. Both yeah. of those are used both of those used in pretty low doses. So that would be one or two drops of either one. So the uh the limeade tincture that I also incorporated to the regimen. Um that also has thirteen herbs in it. <laughs> um uh-huh. that contains Japanese knotweed and teasel. I'll read you that list just, just for you anyways. So it's American Teasel, Andrographa, Spikel Skullcap, Barberry, Biden, Cat Claw, Asadis, uh, Jamaican Sarsaparilla, Japanese Knotweed, Podiarco, Sida, um, Sweet Annie, and Prickly Ash. And for a human, the dose is two to three droppers full three times daily. I'm not doing that much with him. I feel like that's just too much. I'm just adding a few drops into his food at this time to get him accustomed to it. But Do you think that it would be more Yeah, wise? my sense is, as an herbalist, that I'm not even suggesting that you use both teasel and Japanese knotweed. I'm suggesting you choose one. Okay. 
And here they are with all these other herbs in there. And it's kind of like trying to have an intimate conversation in a train station. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that makes sense. Do the St. John's wort in conjunction with teasel or um, Japanese knotweed, would you... Would you do two, or would you just pick one of those? I would feel into what's happening. Mm-hmm. Knowing that the hyperica is very strong against the chronic Lyme, and that the teasel and the Japanese, Japanese knotweed um tend to be more thought of as herbs that help deal with co-infections. And most herbalists, and I tend to agree, think that there's never Lyme without a co-infection. So given, again, that you're working with a dog and you don't exactly know how the dog is going to react to anything, I would start with the hypericum. And after three to seven days of doing that, if you wanted to add one of the other tinctures, that could work out very well. And the high pericum is okay in, in vodka form, but nothing else. I only use vodka for myself because I don't like to poison myself. When I first started... Um, Making my own remedies, the state that I live in, it was illegal to buy grain alcohol because it was a known killer. It still is. But it's legal to buy it now. And I know that a great many people use it. And I know that one of the main reasons that tincture manufacturers use it, because they've told me, is that you don't have to pay um, the taxes on grain alcohol if you're going to reuse it. In other words, if you're going to make tinctures, you can buy grain alcohol and you can buy it at a very inexpensive price because you don't have to pay state or federal tax on it, which is a lot of the cost of, of alcohol. But if you buy vodka, you cannot get that exemption. I had no idea. I always so thought even, that they even were just though using no, grain alcohol, alcohol is poisonous, tincture manufacturers use it because it makes the tincture more drug-like and because they get a big tax break. Well, this is very helpful information. I really appreciate this. So, again, I don't use any tincture with uh, grain alcohol. Um, For myself, I use only vodka tinctures, and especially when I'm working with animals. I don't use grain alcohol because animals can be quite sensitive to alcohol, and if they're going to be sensitive, they'll definitely be sensitive to grain alcohol. Yep. As a matter of fact, sometimes it makes me feel like foaming at the mouth. (laughs) Yeah, it was concerning to me to to put tinctures in his food. Um, But the couple of people that I consulted with on that 
thought it was okay, and I figure, oh, I'm just doing a little bit, it'll be fine, but now I'm <laughs> thinking that that probably wasn't so fine. Um, so thank you. One of the ways that I like to give animals tinctures is to put them in with milk. Okay. Most animals are very happy to drink a little milk. Oh, yeah, he'd love that. Yeah, I was putting, I was mixing them in with his food um, and extra water so that it wasn't just straight tincture. I don't, he wouldn't go for that. <laughs> um, All right. No, I, just have to get, okay. I hope this oh. has been helpful, and I hope you give us a call back in a month or so and let us know how Copal is doing. Would you do that? Thank you. I certainly will. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 215 area code. Hi, Susan. Um, my question tonight is, if a person is preparing themselves for the fall and winter season and they are looking to ensure that they have a nice, strong immune system, if one is incorporating herbs like um, elderberry tincture and mushroom, can you overstimulate your immune system or cause any autoimmune problems? I'm just naive to um, you could do yourself any harm in trying to do good. That's an interesting question. And it's very appropriate if we're using drugs or if we're trying to make herbs into drugs. And it's one of the reasons why I work so much with nourishing and tonifying herbs. So if what you're thinking you're doing is stimulating your immune system, then certainly you can overstimulate it, right? It kind of is part of the territory. If you're stimulating it, you can overstimulate it. But if you're nourishing it, you can't overnourish it. So if I do the nourishing infusion, but then I was thinking, okay, there's COVID and winter's coming and maybe I should do a reishi mushroom tincture or, you know, just um, an reishi is Reishi is nourishing. It's not stimulating. Okay. And what about elderberry? Nourishing. Mm-hmm. Could you eat and elderberry you pie? I don't do that. But could you eat elderberry pie? Uh, I certainly yeah, could, and I have. Elderberry peach yeah. pie, oh, my gosh, it was heaven. I still remember every taste. So can you overdo any of those things and cause overstimulation? What, what, what do you mean those things? Elderberry pie, um, I guess if I'd eaten a third piece, it would have been too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to show, you know, some good sense. But again, you can't overnourish. Mm-hmm. Unless you're like, I don't know, force-feeding yourself. I really trust that if your body has had enough sauerkraut or 
elderberry syrup that if you try to eat another bite of sauerkraut or take another bit of elderberry syrup, your body goes, Bleh. don't do that. Got it. And that if you are loving your body and listening to your body, then you don't do that. I know that in the heroic tradition, no pain, no gain. You force yourself. You use bitter herbs. You do things that hurt. But in the wise woman tradition, it's no pleasure, no treasure. Mm-hmm. We want the things that you are consuming to taste good. Mm-hmm. We want you to feel good from what you're doing and not to have to endure um, some mysterious uh, cleansing or changing. People start feeling better as soon as they start drinking nourishing herbal infusion. And there's no crisis. They just feel better. Okay. And, of course, any time I've ever had a sick animal from a, you know, an injured goose to everything else, I always do my best to get them to drink infusion. Okay. I will keep on keeping on. All right. Thanks so much for your call. Green Thank blessing. you very Good. much. So it looks like there's nobody else in the queue at this time with a question. If you have a question, please press 1 to speak with Susan. And there we go. Somebody queued up. Coming from the 410 area code. This is me. Hello? Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a question about high blood pressure. Um, I've I've had problems with blood pressure for a while. I've been taking motherwort. I was taking um, Clawthorne. And then in May, my mother's sick and my blood pressure went up higher. So I told my doctor that I didn't think I could really handle it. And uh, I started taking amlodipine. So I was taking 2.5. And um, I got dizzy. I got dizzy. Not I got dizzy twice. And then... Um, my head started feeling funny, like kind of lightheaded, kind of like I was going to get dizzy. Um, one of the times when I actually got dizzy, I was walking, so I got very scared. And um, my doctor told me to eat salt. And then, then I started, I was also like having this vague anxiety and it started getting worse. And, um, you know, I didn't know if it was from COVID because I had really gone crazy watching all the news and all the horror stories. So my anxiety got even worse, and then it kind of went into depression because I didn't really want to get out of my chair. And um, then I... Then I started looking at the side effects of amlodipine, which I hadn't done before. And it did bring my blood pressure down quite nicely. 
Um, and, and I saw that dizziness and lightheadedness is an effect. And I, um, I also saw in a list anxiety and nervousness, depression. So I told my doctor I wanted to stop taking it. So I did stop taking it um, the beginning of September. And I looked online to see how long it takes to get out of your system, which was 11 and a half days. And I started feeling a little better, started having a little less anxiety, though I, was, I had a lot of fear. Um, but I also found out, like, at the end of July, I had had some blood tests at the beginning of July, and my cortisol was at 30, which my doctor really freaked out about. So I don't know if that's why I was having anxiety and fear, but I am... I am feeling better than I was, for sure. I'm actually astounded at how awful it was to be anxious. Um, I had never really, I mean, I'm an anxious person anyway, but not anxious in that way where it becomes debilitating. So now I'm off the amlodipine. I have purchased, actually, I purchased your heart blood pressure course. Well, in June, and you know, I've you know printed out the first two lessons, and I did some of the exercises, and I'm on the exercise right now about drinking something. You know, there's a whole bunch of things to choose from: infusion or um, tincture or tea. So I started making sure I drank a cup of um, nettle every day, and I would sit and. Then I would take my blood pressure before and after. Didn't notice any difference. And so I'm, I'm supposed to go back to my doctor. My blood pressures are anywhere like 130 to 140 over the 90s. So I think that I'm, I'm just, I have a lot of fear about the blood pressure and I, um, don't really want to take another medicine after this experience. Those are very reasonable readings. Okay. I don't have to freak out about them. <laughs> you do not have to freak out about them at all. Uh-huh. So... nettle is not a drug, and even if you took a drug to reduce your blood pressure, you wouldn't notice it if you took your blood pressure before you took the drug and after you took the drug, would you? Not not in the space of an hour, I don't think. Right. So it somewhat amuses me that you might think that Nettle would do it within the space of an hour. Okay. Because even uh, a drug I, will... You know, I, read, drug, I read in your book... A drug will not do that. So uh-huh. um, I think that you're on to something with the Nettle. I'm glad that you're continuing... Um, to take your heart-healthy tinctures. I think you're taking motherwort. I think for some reason you've stopped taking hawthorn. You might want to consider taking hawthorn again. Yeah. Um, And I will tell you one of the things that I did, which I found interesting, and maybe it's just me, but maybe it would be interesting to you. I got one of those pretty cheap blood pressure cuffs. You know, they're like $19 or something. I, I and they say, oh, well, I they say, oh, well, they're not accurate. And I say, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter how accurate it is because what I want to see is 
movement. Is my blood pressure going up? Is it going down? Uh-huh. And so I started taking my blood pressure like all the time. Uh-huh. And I did all the things I wasn't supposed to do. Like uh-huh. I would eat and then I would take my blood pressure. I would uh-huh. yell at the apprentices and then I would take my blood pressure. Uh-huh. I would my blood pressure as soon as I woke up in the morning. I would take it um, before I went to sleep at night. I, you know, I would hold my hand over my head. I would did everything to try to see what affected my blood pressure. And uh-huh. the thing that I noticed, and I have fairly low blood pressure, but the thing I noticed that made the biggest difference in my blood pressure was how much sleep I got. Uh-huh. And I could almost tell you how much sleep I had gotten by looking at my blood pressure. It was uh-huh. that direct linked. Yeah. And I found yeah. that out by being a little obsessive, you know, for a couple of weeks and just like taking my blood pressure all the time and just seeing what dots got connected. Uh-huh. Oh, P.S., okay. my blood pressure goes down when I yell at the apprentices. It's so soothing. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Okay? So, so, I, okay. so I think step, step one is be unconcerned. Your blood pressure is fine. Uh-huh. Right? And step two is continue what you're doing with the nettle and the motherwort and, you know, go back to the hawthorn. And uh-huh. step three is do you have any kind of oh, um, what you might call a meditation practice, but it doesn't have to be meditation, just a time when you uh-huh. sit and daydream or give your time off? I have been doing meditation, the stressful, no, mindfulness-based. Stress reduction. Good. Excellent. So I think that's I've been a great thing for you to once, do. Once a day for 20 minutes. Excellent. Uh-huh. I applaud okay. you. All right. Thank you. Okay. You're Thank welcome. You. Being blessed. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 907 area code. Oh, hi, Susan. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Oh, I'm so I'm so grateful for everything. Um, the nourishing infusions and um, uh, several tinctures that I've tried are slowly knocking so many things out of the box that I thought were good before that I don't need because what's going on with the infusions is what I need. So I have a long list of things that have gone away. And right now I'm up to spirulina and chlorella. And I know you don't like them. I was just wondering quickly if you could tell me why and whether I can compost them so I'm not just throwing them in the trash. (laughs) Well, here's one thing I ask myself. When people are promoting some food, I say to myself, what indigenous people ate this food? Right. And the fact of the matter is there are no indigenous people on this planet who ever ate blue-green algae. And so I ask myself, wonder why that is. All over the world, indigenous people eat seaweed. They eat mm-hmm. lots of seaweed, but indigenous people don't 
eat blue-green algae. So why is that? And then, of course, I found that there were, like, times, like, um, in Mexico, um, there's some people who live on a lake, and when they were, like, being starved out by other people, they ate blue-green algae. So under great duress, blue-green algae has been eaten, but it's not something that people would freely choose. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Then I found out that blue-green algae has some actual problems and that probably our ancestors knew about that. On page 131 of my new book, Abundantly Well, um, Don't Buy It, Blue-Green Algae. Analysis of blue-green algae, including spirulina and chlorella, finds trivial amounts of vitamins, minerals, and amino acids. The highest dose of a blue-green algae has fewer vitamins than half a cup of broccoli. It may contain vitamin B12, but it cannot be absorbed by humans. A 2013 study found blue-green algae to have minimal to no effect on the elimination of any stored chemicals or toxins in the body. The euphoria that some people experience after ingestion is due to algal nerve poisons, chemically related to but more dangerous than... In some blue-green algae, these nerve poisons are stronger than cyanide. In fact, blue-green algae is... for killing pets and wildlife. Exposure causes negative health effects to all beings, including allergic reactions. Spirulina grows most abundantly in water contaminated with sewage and chemicals. Oh, my God. Pricey pond scum. Drink nourishing herbal infusions instead. Oh, yes. And I have the book. I'm sorry I didn't think to look that up. Now, uh, can I compost this? Sure. Sound like a... Yeah? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Although it's more fun to wrap it up nicely and give it to someone you don't like. Oh, I, <laughs> I already have a box of essential oils for that. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Susan. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you, green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 608 area code. Hello, this is Selena. I've called in a little bit early so I can hear your show. It's so great to connect. Hey, Selena, we are so excited that you are going to be with us tonight. What do you think, Rebecca? Should we start talking to Selena 15 minutes early? Or is there yeah, other, Selena's other... up for it. Yeah, the, there's nobody else in the queue with a question at this time, so um, I'm, I'm sure we'd all be delighted to start early. <laughs> what about that, Selena? Can we work you a little extra tonight? Oh, it just totally fine with it. I'm so thankful to be able to connect through the wonders of cyberspace and Internet radio. Yes, indeed. So allow me, please, to introduce you. Selena Fox is a nature priestess, eco-feminist, pagan civil rights activist, 
goddess spirituality rituals facilitator, author, podcaster, teacher, spiritual psychotherapist, and counselor. Also known as Reverend Selena Fox, she is the senior minister of Circle Sanctuary, which has been serving nature spirituality practitioners of many paths worldwide with publications, events, networking, activism, and other services since 1974. A lifelong environmentalist, Selena is founder of Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve, located in southwestern Wisconsin, which includes Circle Cemetery, a national pagan burying ground that is among the first green cemeteries in North America. Reverend Selena Fox has an MS in counseling from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and does consultations, readings, and counseling by Zoom and telephone with clients across North America and beyond. Her writings, rituals, chants, and photographs are widely published and can be found both online and in print and in the hearts and minds of many. Selena hosts two weekly podcasts, Nature Spirituality and Nature Mystic, on Circle Sanctuary's Internet Radio Network, CSNP. And she presents workshops and rituals at conferences and gatherings online and in person. Selena Fox is founder of the Circle Craft Tradition, which blends together ancient and contemporary pagan folkways, hedge witchery, multicultural shamanism, and nature mysticism. I am so delighted, thrilled, and twinkling on my ears to have Selena Fox with us. Welcome, welcome. It is so good to be here. I have been referring people to you for decades, and it's so wonderful to be with a colleague that's also out um, doing podcasting and continuing to get good information out and help people. So you do so many things, but I believe that one of the places that we are deeply connected is that whatever it is we're doing, we're doing it from a feminist perspective. Absolutely. (laughs) That is hardwired to my soul. Part of my journey in this life is to really work for full equality, gender equality, all sorts of equality. But um, feminism is something that's been part of this life journey since I was very young. And in what ways have you expressed that? I have found myself um, going places where women haven't gone or few women have gone. And part of that even dates back to my junior high days, science projects. There weren't that many young women taking part in the science fair, but I was fascinated by electricity and my father, who knew a lot about that, I was able to call on to teach me some things, and I helped, um, I guess, 
moved that what's now called STEM um, forward back in the 1950s and 60s. So a mainstay route for your activism is to be a role model, to do what you want to do, um, no matter what gender supposedly likes that best, and to thereby show other women that they can do that too. That's so important to all of us. So many times I have heard young women say, well, I just never knew that girls or women could do that. So thank you. Thank you, Selena. You founded Circle Sanctuary in 1974, back in the days when we were really flush with our um, sense that feminism was really going to make sweeping changes. What caused you to create a sanctuary? I, I really felt it was important to have some way to bring people together to connect with nature and to bring about safe spaces and places which people could grow and be able to self-actualize. I didn't use those words back then so much, but I, I had a journey in the realm of spirituality and religion as I was very young. I was raised fundamentalist Southern Baptist. And if you were female and you had calling to ministry, uh, that wasn't an option back then. And in some forms of the Baptist world, it still is not an option. I did manage when I was in my late teens to do my one and only sermonette on a youth Sunday in a Southern Baptist church. They'd always picked the young man most likely to be a minister who was a senior in high school to do this short sermon. That year, I outranked the two guys that did end up being Christian ministers. And it was the 60s after all. They decided they would let a female speak from the pulpit. So I blazed some trails there, but I realized after I shared my heartfelt message about helping people, regardless of their color and their religious orientation in the neighborhood, uh, there were a lot of people in shocked silence at that time, and I thought, hmm, I think I need to be in a different religious sector. So I went through a period of searching, and it was actually through my study of classics of Greek and Roman literature and languages that I came to embrace ecofeminism through paganism, contemporary paganism. And in 1974, I had the name Circle come to me and the idea of creating a network, a community, and then through the, I did not expect to be doing this for my living, but that's what ended up happening. And I am so thankful that I've had the opportunity 
to see that grow and to connect with other people who share similar values. And feminism to me is an important value and it's important to manifest. Having just celebrated the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, I have been encouraging people not only to do that celebration with a retrospective, but it took years for women to get the right to vote. And I think it's very important we become informed voters, find out about voting, those of us in the U.S. in particular, and that we vote our choices. Absolutely. Our foremothers worked hard, very, very, very hard for a long time to get us the right to vote. We should not do anything other than vote and support everyone in their ability and right to vote. And this, of course, as we all know, is going to be a very critical vote coming up. So let's be sure that um, Susan B. and Elizabeth Cady and everybody else is cheering us on. Speaking of which, cheering us on long before it was, dare I say, popular, although it's hard to think of that a green cemetery is popular, but long, long before it was popular, you were into green burial and setting up a green cemetery. Please talk to us about that, Selena. Yes, when um, Circle Sanctuary was in its early stages, we were... Um, we had a rental property in a rural area where we began, but we knew we needed to have land. And as part of that process, we did visioning. We sat around, we shared our ideas, our visions. And from the earliest days of that visioning, even before we came to find the land and begin purchase of the land and buy the land, I had a sense we really needed not only land that was just a beautiful place where people could commune with nature. I mean, I honor all sorts of landscapes, but I'm really a rural person. And I I had this sense we needed to do a cemetery. So we got the land in 1983 and got it on a land contract, but We held off until 1995 to actually start the cemetery. Why 1995? That's when we paid off the land. I have done a lot of work with passage rights, and when it comes to respecting the dead, you need to do things right, and I wanted to make sure I had title to that land in our hands that our nonprofit organization had it. Um, before we started burying human remains, any remains, actually. So in 1995, we began our cemetery, and we began with having ashes, cremated remains, put on the land. And then in 2010, we expanded the cemetery to 20 acres so we could do full-body burials. 
And we have both options available at our cemetery, as well as the scattering of ashes in our restored prairie. So we have a burying ground, part of our cemetery. We have a ridge top where some ashes are buried and marked with memorial markers. We have a restored prairie where some ashes have been scattered. And also as part of this 20-acre piece within the 200 acres of Circle Sanctuary is our stone circle. You've heard of megalithic stone circles. Avebury and Stonehenge are probably the most well-known. Well, ours is microlithic, much smaller stones, easier for people to bring and put in the ring. Hey. So that's very close to my heart, too, because I think that it's really important to continue that circle of giveaway that we have with breathing with the plants. Yes. And that it continues so beautifully when we are able to um, take ourselves back to the earth. Yeah, you we know, just had our very first full-body burial at our cemetery during the pandemic. And wow. Complicated. I had done an ashes burial during the pandemic on Earth Day, and it was a very small private ceremony because at that point everybody was in lockdown and um, we videoed the ceremonies so that loved ones had the option of being able to view that. Um, but for a full body burial, you do need uh, at least a half dozen people in order to lower the body into the grave and just the mechanics of it all, and we were able to have it happen. We were socially distant from each other. We had our mask. We had good um, sanitation. Of course, the ceremony was outside, but um, we, at Circle Sanctuary, we embrace the mystical, but we're also scientists. So we're going to do the best possible Um, things for both, and I am really glad that we were able to have beautiful weather that day and that the uh, man who I had known for many years, he was a documentary filmmaker, worked for public television with some of his films, a musician, and a very creative soul. And I'd actually been in some of his films. He was an environmentalist. And I am so thankful that things came together where we were able to accomplish his wish, which is to have his human remains in a linen shroud um, placed in the ground and buried. And, indeed, one of the things that we have as an option at our Green Cemetery While the body cannot be embalmed and while the container for the body, be it a shroud or a cremation box, a um, wooden casket or coffin, while they all need to biodegrade and the body needs to biodegrade, we do allow people to put in grave goods. 
or indeed, if you look at the history of natural burial, it goes back to the Stone Age. And so we're keeping alive the old practice of not only returning human remains to the earth, but people who have particular mementos and want to put something in the grave before we fill in the grave have the option to do that. And it was fitting that some of the things that went into the grave after his shrouded body was placed there were wildflowers from our restored prairie. Oh, that is so special. Wow, I don't know if you remember, but decades past, they discovered a, a very, very early grave far before they thought that, that humans were burying each other. And one of the reasons that they were sure it was a grave was that there were was pollen from wildflowers around it. Absolutely, and that... Um Knowing about that and being interested in antiquity and preserving some of the best practices from the ancient past, well, that was a best practice that we continue on at our green cemetery. Now, some green cemeteries do not allow permanent markers to mark the graves, and I respect the different choices and options available for people at different cemeteries. But part of what we do, in addition to having grave goods being an option, we do permit people to have long-standing markers. And from stone that isn't indigenous to the land, we have granite markers as an option for people. And why do we do that when so many green cemeteries say, oh, you just return the bodies to the earth and... You mark it with a GPS. Well, the technology can change, um, first of all, but from a therapeutic standpoint, having not only conducted many funerals throughout my priestess life, but now that I've been running a cemetery for 25 years, I know that it really helps people with their grieving process to be able to see specifically where the grave is, and the gravestone itself, often people will take flowers and herbs and decorate the stone with them, usually put it around the stone. And so um, we have that as an option as well for people if they choose that. That's really, really beautiful. When my lover... um Fern died. She asked that we cut down her rosemary bush, and she lived in Texas, so Texas. So her rosemary was about, you know, four feet wide by four to five feet tall. Amazing. And we cut it down and packed her body in the rosemary. Oh, how fabulous! And I really do think one of the reasons now green burials, green cemeteries are becoming more known, and more people are choosing that option, it's an ancestral thing and it's an environmental thing. And uh, when you think about it, if you've lived your life in a very healthy way and um, if you are doing herb gardening, vegetable gardening, and you're doing it all organically, why, after you die, would you want toxic chemicals put in your body? I mean, that's 
um, that's so you don't rock. What? My own. So uh, I think another piece about the green burial. There is something very cathartic about filling in a grave of a loved one. And we had a fairly small um, number of people at the ceremony, the full-body green burial during the pandemic, because we had a limitation of only a couple dozen people out here in this part of Wisconsin. And usually when we've done full-body green burials, there's been at least 50 and sometimes 100 people. And so when you have that many people and lots of shovels, it doesn't take really long to fill in the grave. However, um, we have a smaller number of people, but yet there was a real commitment to doing it the old school way of filling in the grave by hand. And and I do think the practices are not only um, sustainable practices when we look at the environment, but they really help us connect with the cycle of, of birth, life, death, and rebirth like nothing else does. Speaking of birth, life, death, and rebirth, before you came on the show, Rebecca, who lives on the West Coast, um, was in Eugene, near Eugene, was telling us about being surrounded by fire. Oh, my. And so we were thinking maybe you could, being such a spell mistress, come up with a brief spell that we could all do to help out in some way. Well, something that I have been working on, because, you know, these fires have been breaking out in different places out west, um, I, you know, for several weeks, one of the things that I've personally done, because we have community members connected with Circle Sanctuary, out on the West Coast, um, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and California, throughout California, one thing that I've found helpful is to have a chalice of water on my main home shrine or altar, and every day, um, and have it filled with blessed water, and every day spending a few moments putting my hands my fingers in the water, and actually do a imitation of falling, healing, nurturing, fire-quenching rain. And that is a very simple ritual meditation spell that can be done. I think um, something else that could be done is to call to the rain healing, nurturing rain with some kind of a chant. And as one 
cause that rain, and I did hear from some of the people I've been connecting with out west um, earlier today that one particular area actually did manage to get some rain. They were working on um, dealing with the air quality issues as well as the fire issues, and I do think doing some kind of a chant um, as one imagines healing, nurturing rain, and why I say healing, nurturing rain is if you get too much rain falling uh, at once, that can be problematic too, especially if there is lightning associated with a storm, which is what caused a number of the fires out, um, out west. I think another thing that people might consider doing is, in addition to healing work and safety and protection work in, related to these fires, is to do some working on a spiritual level all around the client climate change situation because that's part of why these fires are happening. And to follow up any spiritual action, any spell work, any magic with becoming an informed voter regarding environmental issues and to not only vote oneself but to get other people informed about choices and to really turn up at the polls and to vote for people that understand science, that want to stop the climate change or at least mitigate it to some um, way, and to have the United States once again be a leader, a collaborator with other countries in the world for a more sustainable planet. Uh, maybe it's this time of year last year when the global climate strike happened, and as part of that, I developed a chant that I have continued to work with. Bring human change to climate change. Bring human change to climate change. Take action while there is time. Take action while there is time. Bring human change to climate change. And that's part of the chant, and there's all sorts of other parts. But I do think singing can help, chanting can help, but actually on-the-ground activism to back up um, and to manifest our work also is a good thing to do. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, so many things I want to talk to you about, Selena. You do so much good and cast such a broad circle there from Circle Sanctuary. Do you have a garden there? Yes. I. Um, for many years, I actually lived at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve, but I now have my own land that adjoins it. And part of that is what I call the long-term planning. So we do have gardens over at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve, 
And at my home, which is up the hill and through the woods, I have gardens in the front yard. I have gardens in the side yard. I have gardens in the backyard. <laughs> and I also do wild crafting. And one, in, although I live in a forest, so I need to focus more on plants that are partial shade um, and shade plants, there are some other places on our land where we have full sun. So I, I really like having herbs right outside my front door. So when I am making a salad, I can just walk out the front door and honor the plants and pick some plants and eat them fresh and make some teas. I just, I've had a love of gardening since I was a very young girl, and it continues to this day. Yes, indeed. Okay, that's great. Oh, wow. I feel the same way. One of the very first things that I did after I got my house livable was to start planting planting things around the house. That's so fabulous. Well, um, I lived at this really old farmhouse uh, uh, built in the first part of the 20th century over at Circle Sanctuary Nature Preserve. And I knew at some point I really needed to get my own land. Land came up for sale next door, so I started buying that. And I knew eventually I would need to have a house there. So my partner and I were able to be part of the design process and found a um, found some people who were good builders and designers. And I made certain in being able to create the home that I now live in that there was plenty of space to do my herbal work. So there is a... Um, well, three-season porch, unless you put a heater in there, and we occasionally will put a heater in it, um, which I call the herb porch. And I've started doing live stream Facebook um, kind of pop-up sessions um, out there. I do my podcasting on Wednesday nights. Um, I've started doing them on the herb porch. I actually am able to hook up a phone there as well as, uh, a tripod with my camera, so I'm live streaming on Facebook as well as being on a blog talk. And I have a place where I can process herbs. I have baskets that um, hang from hooks on the ceiling. And so when I'm out gathering herbs, I'm able to take them into that space and put them in baskets, and they air dry in the room. And in the actual house itself, in the kitchen, I made certain that we were able to put into the plan um, Florida ceiling, practically cabinets where I could store all of my herbs in jars. So, I, you know, I I see that love of herbs and the the green witchery piece is something you and I have had in common for a long, long time. And I am so thankful for the writings that you have done, the workshops, the training, the teachings. You're keeping alive those wise woman ways. You're helping people um, continue on with a really important way of having plants be part of human life. Yes, 
so important. After all, if we call it the green movement, and it's green this and green that, the ultimate green is the plants and reconnecting people to the plants, I think, is the fastest way to reconnect them to nature and thus their nature as well. I'm sure that um, people want to get in touch with you. I know that there's a variety of ways. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, one way to get in touch is actually by email. So people can email circle, C-I-R-C-L-E, at circlesanctuary.org. Another way to be in touch is to send me a message via my main Facebook page, which is Selena Fox Updates. I I sometimes will um, also get messages on Instagram and YouTube and Twitter, but most of the messages I get either come directly through email, and that's actually the better way to do it, um, or through Facebook. And I haven't been out uh, traveling around like I usually do, speaking at conferences and festivals and other events. But another way to be in touch is to connect with one of the online events that I'm speaking at. Circle Sanctuary has been putting on events for celebrating the seasons. We have our autumnal equinox coming up this coming Saturday. And those who want more information about that can find that information at the circlesanctuary.org website. And I also will be speaking at the Hamilton Pagan Harvest Fest on Sunday afternoon. That's out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I've actually spoken in person at that event in the past over the last um, 10 to 15 years or so a couple times, and I am really looking forward to getting to connect with people there as well. And, and so part of what I endeavor to do is when I'm um, a speaker at an online event, be it one that Circle Sanctuary is doing or someone else is doing, if the people who are putting on the event do have the option of doing it live, such as we're doing this live now. Um, I, I actually prefer that because people can get into the chat or do Q&A, and there can be direct contact that way. So that's another way to, to connect. Thank you. This is Susan Wee talking with Reverend Selena Fox, and we are just opening a few drawers and doors and cupboards and showing you the magic and activism and incredible things inside there. And I want you to get in touch with Selena Fox to find out more, more about her work at Circle Sanctuary, more about Circle Craft Tradition, more about hedge witchery, more about green burials and... I bet you have some hopes and visions for the future. Yes, I'm, I have my eye on the prize, which was something, uh, an expression that Martin Luther King Jr. 
and other people in the civil rights movement for racial equality back in the 1960s used. Actually, I started my activism back in 1963 while I was a teenager, providing some support services for the March on Washington. So I have my eye on the prize that we truly can have a sustainable world, that humankind can evolve itself and stop the violence and as well as the pollution, that we can have a world where people, whatever their color, their gender identity, sexual orientation, age, walk of life, that we can create harmony together, not only with humans being in good relation with each other, but the rest of the natural world. I do think the pandemic that has been so challenging around the world is a real opportunity not only to take a close look at how humankind is relating to each other and the rest of the natural world, but it's an opportunity to do reset. I know certainly my own skills in working with cyberspace have had a workout, and I'm getting to learn a lot more things. Uh, I think a positive thing from that is that humans of many paths are able to connect in ways that we hadn't really been connecting. Um, And I do think through that connection we can build understanding and ideally collaboration Now, it sounds I'm being very utopian, but I truly believe that we can find a way out of our challenges and really work together for a better world. And so that's a guiding vision that I've had throughout this life's journey, and I am so thankful that There are more people now being more aware of the importance of humankind communing with nature as part of their life experience. So part of my vision is to uh, continue um, work that's already happening in good ways. I do think we not only need to green our lives and the end of lives, but when it comes to mental, social, emotional, physical, spiritual well-being, that it's essential for humankind to get more attuned to nature and the larger world that we are a part of. So I've been one of those people who is in the mental health profession, um, And that world that has been an advocate for nature therapy, forest bathing, nature communion, and other good practices that can take us out of our human um, focus space and let us truly be mindful and responsible as we work with others. I like that vision. Thank you, Selena Fox. Wow. Yes. Yes, I have a a sticker on my door from Zhuzhana Budapest, and it says, Peace, it's harder than war. (laughs) That's a great quote. I agree. 
Right. <laughs> or as uh, my sweetheart said, he was a Shakespearean actor, and for many, many years he played villains. And then he had, like, I don't know, a change of a heart, and he started playing clowns. Because okay. Shakespeare has plenty of both villains and clowns, and he says, to play the villain, all you do is to come on stage and be the villain once, and you are forevermore the villain for the rest of the play. But every time you come on stage as a clown, you have to reestablish yourself as the clown. That's true. That very astute. <laughs> so, peace, it's harder than war. You know, once you're the villain, you're the villain. But to be the clown, you have to keep clowning around. You have to keep taking yourself lightly. You have to keep uh, saying that we want it to be green because green is fun. Well, and I do think that a good balance to the struggle and the challenges is for people to make sure there is space in their life to laugh and to have fun. It's, uh, and we need to have balance, you know, as we're moving into Equinox time. We not only celebrate that Equal Day, Equal Night as part of the celebration of the seasons, but it's a real good time for us to take a look at how can we get ourselves in better balance in our own personal lives, in our households, in our communities, in our world. Mm. Ah, so much to do. How exciting. I had to smile when I saw that you founded the Lady Liberty League. One of the assignments that I give every apprentice is that she must have a goddess archetype. And she gives a goddess archetype presentation as part of her graduation ceremony. Now, my goddess archetype for a great many years was Artemis, of course, right? The woman who runs but in the woods, right? Who else? But I had to admit, once the years passed after menopause, that Artemis began to look younger and younger to me and that I actually felt that I needed an older and wiser goddess to accompany me in my postmenopausal journey, although I still love Artemis and will always, you know, be true to her, um, I could sense that my path was diverging off. Now, I had appeared publicly as Baba Yaga in decks and paintings and so on, and I know um, that people had a, a great thrill seeing me as Baba Yaga. Oh, that. But I also knew that my goddess archetype had to be for me and not what other people saw in me or wanted me to be. And so I really had I had an inkling of what, who I wanted, but, you know, I, I kept second-guessing myself and saying, well, she's not a goddess. Well, she's not a goddess. And, I, and then my, my other voice would say, she wears a headband. And then my, you know, the first voice would say, but she's not a goddess. You can't have her as a goddess archetype. She's not a goddess. And I would say, you know, she's holding a book, and she's not a goddess. But, of course, Lady Liberty is a goddess, isn't she? And she who better to accompany me in my menopausal journey, but the only goddess with a headband, Lady Liberty. Absolutely. And I think we need to call her out to help guide us, uh, not only Lady Liberty, but Lady Justice and Lady Wisdom, who people know as Minerva or Athena, some of those old goddess forms are hardwired into the American psyche and other parts of the world. And I do think 
We need those goddess blessings to help us be wise and responsible and active. I'm so glad to be with you. And on that fabulous note, we are going to end our show. Selena Fox, find her at circle at circlesanctuary.org, a great email address, the best way to get in touch with her. Or, of course, Selena Fox at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, The Works. And thank you, Selena, for being on the show, sharing so much with us, and for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. You have established for us some of the strongest and sturdiest of the warp threads that so many modern women are weaving on. The warp threads that you have laid down are invisible in this weaving, and yet the strength and the beauty of what is being woven on them um, honors and praises all that you have done for all of these years. My gratitude and my indebtedness to you for being that beautiful goddess, for being that archetype for so many of us. And Rebecca, thank you, and thank you, Selena, for helping me reestablish herbal medicine as people's medicine. It's a medicine that grows right outside your door. I'll talk with you, everybody, next week. Green blessings and good night. Good night. Green blessings, everyone.